0: everybody and welcome to another edition of the Southern Fried Podcast, a production of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. I'm Rex Nelson, Senior Editor of the Democrat Gazette, and my pleasure to have back the Dean of the Clinton School of Public Service here in Little Rock, Dr. Victoria Di Francisco Soto, Dean Soto, thank you so much. It's been a while. I mean, you were a you were a brand new dean in Little Rock. I think when we last had you on the show, you're almost a grizzled veteran now. I know.
1: I, I no longer have the new car smell, but <laughs> it has been a wonderful. Two years here, and so glad to be back with you, Russ. Yeah, Thank well, you.
0: well, there's a lot to talk about. I did not mean to wait two years. <laughs> you know what they say, time flies when you're having yes. fun. So uh, we have great guests always, but uh, have been really anxious to get you back on the uh, on the show. Um, and before we talk state and national politics, I, I want to talk about, um, about the Clinton School and um, I guess we ought to start at Clinton School 101 for those of who may be listening to this podcast and uh, not really familiar. So give your quick uh, elevator pitch on uh, why the Clinton School is important and uh, maybe a little bit more about uh, why you chose to come here to Arkansas two years ago.
1: the The Clinton School we're nearing our 20th anniversary mm-hmm. is just an exceptional institution not just at the state level but at the national level because it was a pioneer in thinking about teaching not just in the classroom how we all kind of traditionally learned but about learning outside of the classroom so a core of the clinton school is field service learning so over a third of our curriculum takes place outside of the classroom with partners across the state of Arkansas, across the nation, and across the globe. So that is one core piece that we have, and I think a lot of folks across the state will know us because of our work with them. The other thing that I am so proud of, of the school, and I think that maybe folks don't know a lot about, and and I'm eager to get the word out, is the research of our faculty members. Our faculty members really are second to none, and what they're doing is enriching the classroom through their research excellence and just making folks day-to-day better. And I'm, I'm gonna give you a teaser. I cannot go into this because um, I will get in trouble, but I will say that in a couple of weeks we will be releasing the first ever Arkansas Civic Health Index oh, Report. Wow.
0: Wow. Now tell me what that is in essence. I know you can't give any details of it because it hasn't been released, but what what is it in essence?
1: It's a scorecard. It okay. It's our report card as a state of how we're doing on civic engagement measures. What's our civic health like? And a lot of states in the nation have these report cards mm-hmm. and they're updated periodically. Arkansas was one of the few states that didn't. So, the Clinton School, together with partners such as Engage Arkansas, the Winthrop Rockefeller Institute, CALS, uh, you know, a bunch of these organizations in the state said, we have to change this. And so, two of our faculty members are leads on this. They have been researching for the past couple of months. And I believe in December, we're going to do the initial launch. So, I ask folks to stay tuned for that because it is really a rich, resource and it's also a roadmap rex what can we do to strength, strengthen our state you know what's the good and what's the bad what do we do to address the bad and how do we uplift the
0: good mm-hmm. that sounds exciting we will be on the lookout good. for again the first arkansas health civic health index report right yes. all right all right also i understand a couple of your faculty members had a study published on how to better support women during their pregnancies support maternal yep. health
1: Well, and this is... um an issue that is of concern nationally and especially in Arkansas. Regrettably, we know the numbers when it comes to maternal health. Exactly. So what do we do to look at how we support women during pregnancy? And a couple of our faculty members had been working on this. One of our faculty members, Dr. Nicola Driver, she's a medical sociologist and does incredible work in this area of maternal health. And so I think that while we know the bad news, I also want to uplift the fact that here in Arkansas, we have some really talented people looking at how we can move the needle and support women. You know, something in terms of a program that brings women together for prenatal visits and provides emotional support, as well as medical information, that can move the needle. So yes, we we, we got to keep an eye on, on what's not great, but how can we change that as well?
0: hmm you're involved in so many areas yet yet <laughs> another uh, open government lab focused on cybersecurity for local governments as well as how e-governance is now part of the yeah. environment uh, let, let's talk about that uh, i have written a couple of columns on cybersecurity, just because Little Rock and Arkansas has, has kind of become a center of, of training people in that area, uh, Ex- which is so important.
1: Exactly. And to that point, Rex, when I got here, uh, some of my faculty members came to me and said, you know what, we've been doing work in this area. This is an area that here in Arkansas is starting to blossom. hmm can we dig deep into this? And so I was able to invest in uh, starting up the e-governance, the open governance lab. And you know, so there's the cybersecurity piece when it comes to our public service. How do we keep our county governments, our state government, our local governments safe? So there's that piece. But also on the e-governance, traditionally, we would gather in town squares. We would gather right. at bowling alleys. We'd gather at churches. We're getting to live more of our life in the virtual space now, which also means that a lot of our activism and our civic engagement is taking place online, as is our engagement with the government. You're doing a lot more forms, you're doing a lot more processes online. So let's center that. And so when we're looking at public service at the Clinton School, we've got to look at it in the 21st century lens. So, again, very proud of what we're doing. As you can tell, they're all different.
0: Mm-hmm. That's what I meant by different areas. Uh, I mean, you are in a number of areas well, right now. And right? we
1: are boldly and proudly interdisciplinary. This yeah. is what was at the root of the founding of the Clinton School, where we wanted to prepare folks with a toolkit, and then they can go out and deploy that toolkit within all of these different realms. So the research that our uh, our faculty are doing are emblematic of who we are. hmm
0: hmm How... Is the semester going? Talk about uh, some of the students, how many states are represented. And again, I know we hit on this, but it's been almost two years. Uh, Talk about what differs the Masters of Public Service from from other master's degrees that might be in government, political science, what have you.
1: And so I I describe them as close cousins. So we have the Mm -hmm. master's in public administration, the master's in public affairs, the master's in public policy, political science. I'm a political scientist by training. We're all related. But the master's of public service, which has really come to the fore recently, is about saying, let's take pieces of all of those but equip students with the ability to go across sectors. Because, Rex, traditionally, your master's in public administration was a pretty direct pipeline to government. Mm-hmm. Not that there's e- anything exactly. bad. I mean, that's good. But what if you go into government and then you want to go into the private sector? And then what if you're in the private sector and you want to go into international relations? So because we're seeing people not only change jobs more frequently, but sectors— an interdisciplinary toolkit, such as that that you get at the Clinton School, provides you that flexibility. And if you want to dig in to more of the management or administrative piece, we can help you with that. But the base is a little bit broader, so you can engage different sectors.
0: Mm-hmm. Makes sense to me. I mean, and I, uh, I I spent almost ten years in state government. I spent another four years uh, in the federal government. I come back to the private sector. I worked in higher education for five years, but uh, you know, most people these days we know are going to change careers a number of times over their lifetime, and to me, that makes that interdisciplinary approach more important than it has ever been.
1: You know, the the idea of having this toolkit in, in in public service it really speaks to, you can be an engineer mm-hmm. and you bring a public service lens. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how do you think about the greater community, the greater good? You can be in fine arts. We have documentary filmmakers. How can you be a doctor? We have you know folks in the medical profession. So it's, it's not exclusive. And I think that as we rethink education and higher ed is an inflection point, it's that these traditional lanes that everybody would follow aren't where we're going, and we need to rethink higher ed to equip folks to be nimble. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I I love that you mentioned an engineer and can look at the public service aspect. Um, uh, On one of our recent shows, uh, one of your colleagues in the University of Arkansas system I had, who has become one of my favorite people in the state, is Peter McKeith, who Uh. is dean of the School of Architecture in Fayetteville. And, and Peter is this is the most fascinating guy because he sees the big picture. in my And, in, in, you know, here's how we use architecture to advance the Arkansas economy. And in my mind, most architects don't think that way. So, again, engineer public service. And we're talking about the same type of thing.
1: Agreed. And shout out to Peter. Him and I have been talking about... How we can formally bring our work together because it goes hand in hand.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we had him on with one of the deans from the University of Arkansas at Monticello uh, talking about forestry and Mm -hmm. how architecture works with the forestry sector, and I've got a column coming. It was just fascinating to me, but it's exactly what you're talking about, and that's that interdisciplinary approach. Now. I won't, I have too many interests, but uh, one of my interests I write a lot going around Arkansas is is about downtown development. And uh, we have had the announcement, of course, had many details uh, um, unveiled, but the, the Clinton Center where your campus is, is going to be expanding, which you don't see that much with presidential museums and libraries. Extremely, extremely exciting. That comes at the same time as the state's first dental school and the state's first veterinary school are about to be built next door to you. Uh, We've got the Wingate Art Space going to be built, which is going to house dozens of artists in that part of town. Uh, We've got the new symphony headquarters right next door to you that is starting to go up. I was by there yesterday. Right now, um, it has to be... uh, Has to be fun for you that the school is located in what I think over the next few years is going to be one of the most exciting neighborhoods in this part of the country with all that seems to be going on at the same time right now. You you
1: can see the smile on my face. I mean, the excitement that I feel on a couple of different levels, right, first is, you know, that we have— this expansion of the, the papers of Hillary Rodham Clinton. Yeah, this is exactly. a huge deal. Oh, it is a huge, huge deal. deal. A, a
0: very important figure in American history. And uh, in, and to to honor her in addition to the former president uh, is going to be just, again, a huge draw to Little Rock for people visiting, for conferences, whatnot.
1: Exactly. So it's, it's a draw across the state, nationally, and internationally, International, too, I, right. I would argue. You know, in, in her last chapter, she really was a leader on the world stage. So so that there's that piece of it. There is also the, the higher ed mm-hmm. facet that, that we were just talking about, that these partners that are coming in, the dental school and the vet school, when I talked earlier about rethinking higher ed and not just doing the same old These schools, and I've had the pleasure of engaging with the deans of these schools. We're looking to do uh, some work together to to reinforce, you know, how do we add a public service lens? They get it. It's a new mold. You meet students where they are. You don't shoehorn people into old systems of learning. So this is really exciting also in terms of a community. You know, thinking about this as, as a space where we can come together. The East Village, where we can have creativity in terms of the Wingate uh, um, living space mm-hmm. that's going to be created mm-hmm. in terms of the the eating establishments, the leisure establishments. I know that there's also discussion of having living, you know, apartment complexes exactly. being put into this. Exactly. And this is, this is what creates a dynamic educational space. Mm-hmm. This is huge on so many dimensions and, and speaking very selfishly and very smallly, uh, this is really going to help the, the Clinton School, which has been expanding and growing, and, and we have some very ambitious projects underway. Just take it to the next level. Yeah,
0: well, as, as an Arkansan, I, I, I just think it's very exciting to see, I mean, you've got this former industrial district, and again, you take all of these things together uh... the clinton center expansion uh... what you're doing at the clinton school Again, the veterinary school, the dental school, the Wingate Art Space. There's a, a huge new brewery that is coming yeah. out of the ground now. Right now, uh, more restaurants, more brew pubs are going to follow. Uh, more, like you said, apartments, condominiums are going to follow. And I I just think it's, over the next five to ten years, that is going to be one of the most exciting neighborhoods in the entire South, not just in Arkansas.
1: Agreed, agreed, and the entire South. And I think that, you know, Little Rock – it has so much dynamism already I mean and that was one of the things that drew me here mm-hmm. you know I was in Austin That's and right. Austin just got to be too much like I, I was
0: over it my, my son <laughs> my son is back here clerking for uh, on the eighth circuit now he had the same feeling as you know I, my oldest son was in Austin for six years getting a JD and a PhD but he he was over it I was the over traffic it. yeah the Infrastructure failures, the, having to boil water, the electricity going out um, in the winter. Yeah. yeah,
1: and and so Little Rock, it, it already it has so much, and then with this, it's going to take it to another level within the state and and regionally. And we also know that just within. The United States, the South, is one of the areas with the fastest-growing populations, one of the most rapidly diversifying areas in the nation. So this just adds to that vibrancy that we're already seeing on the upward trend.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. A lot going on. Clinton School, Little Rock, the entire neighborhood. I've I've got to leave (laughs) part of the show, though, uh, to talk politics. I I know we could talk about this the entire 30 minutes, but I know many of you are— familiar with the fact that the Dean is a national political commentator for MSNBC NBC affiliated networks and uh, boy there's a there's a lot going on uh, so I you know, want to get your readings uh, let, let's start uh, let's start on this presidential race uh, let's let's start on the Democratic side yeah. I mean there have been so much attention then we'll get to the Republican yeah. side but you know the president, Still questions about age, about health, uh, about uh, how good is his mind? Can can we trust this for another four years? And the fact is, uh, uh, somebody with very low name ID, uh, but do have a legitimate. Now, there were other announced candidates, but I didn't really consider them candidates. We now have a legitimate out of Congress announced candidate now. So kind of kind of your read on on where this goes in the next few months.
1: Typically, you have the incumbent president uh, running on a post within his own within his own party. So there had been murmurs. So Mm. this wasn't totally out of the blue. Uh, But now seeing it official, I, I think it It makes some folks a little bit nervous, not because they think that the the candidate can unseat President Biden in a primary, but it starts to make people nervous about a potential third party candidate. I think that that conversation has been swirling around for a while. And because of the structure of our political system, it is unlikely that a third party candidate can win. Nothing is impossible. Mm -hmm. I've become convinced of that over the last couple of years. But a third party candidate, whether it's a no labels, whether it's a Joe Manchin, someone else, who knows, that that could be the greatest detractor to the Democratic presidential incumbency. So I think that is where the real danger lies, not so much within the party, but with potentially disillusioned Democrats or Democrats who feel frustrated and cast their vote for a third party candidate and that potentially you know, letting the other major party candidate, the Republican Party candidate, whoever that may be... Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get there. We'll get there to win the election. So I think that is the greater worry on the Democratic side is that you don't have the enthusiasm and that you have a siphoning off of votes, even if it's just a little bit. But, you know, in a close race, 3%, 4% can make a difference. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. All right, let's get let's get to the Republican side. Um, I mean, I, I know... People uh, that have read my columns through the years know where, where I come from. Yes, I work for a Republican governor. I work for a Republican president. Um, I, I am among those who have been um, uh, just uh, sickened by what I feel is the, the loss of uh, of uh, the intellectual and moral core of that party. So there's where I am. I'll just state it on the front, but I, I will ask you for pure analysis of where the party is right now. Is it inevitable that Donald Trump is going to be the nominee? And I will tell you, I still stay in touch with people I knew well uh, when when I worked in the George W. Bush administration. And I know there is a feeling now among some of those people that had hoped against hope for another nominee that this is not going to happen. in essence, We've just got to let the house burn down and then try to start rebuilding it as a party in january where Where do you see the Republicans and see this going? I, mean, I know I've loaded a lot on you there, but uh, uh, as of right now, uh, as we tape this uh, going into November, a year out
1: yeah i we're we're a year out from yeah. from the election and and I think i I want to hedge my crystal balling because so much can happen. In twelve months, we've seen just in the last month everything that has happened. We have had an international crisis, and we have mm-hmm. had a domestic crisis of just staggering magnitude. Right, both of those—the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and the the. Uh, Election of the oh, yeah. speaker, speakers of the House, speakers, speaker, yeah, yes, multiple. Speakership. So and, le- and
0: things can turn on a dime. It, so yeah, all cloudy balls are crystal. So right?
1: I'm, I'm going to put that to the side. What all I,
0: crystal balls are cloudy. yeah, <laughs> I mean,
1: <laughs> what I think I will drill into that's a little bit more concrete is Iowa, because mm-hmm. that is 76 days away. So mm-hmm. we're 76 days Ooh, away from Iowa. Very close there. Yeah. So when it comes to the GOP, I think that gives us a a little bit of leverage, and is, is a side note, my my political science wonkiness, the Democrats really have, have stepped away from Iowa being the first in the nation, claims of Iowa just not being representative of the nation, of the Democratic Party, whereas the GOP, and you can still make the case, is a little bit more demographically representative of the constituencies within the GOP. Right, so, right. All right, wonky side note aside. What is happening in Iowa, we just saw a poll from NBC News yesterday that Donald Trump remains the the front runner. And interestingly, he has a lot of enthusiasm among the folks who support him. Enthusiasm is very important because when it comes to turning out, there's the preference: yeah, I like this guy, I like this gal. But I really like them. That's mm-hmm. mine. That's what's going to get you up off the couch and caucusing, on, you know, when it's below zero. And that is important for Donald Trump. And keep in mind, Donald Trump lost in Iowa the first time he ran mm-hmm. there. So not surprising. Right, Rex? We, we knew that exactly. he was doing well. He's He's been strengthening. You know, if, if the more legal challenges he has, the, the stronger he gets. I think that's his supporters doubling down. What was really interesting to me, though, was that now we have a tied second place. We have Ron DeSantis, who we'd seen in the distant second, but we have a Nikki Haley. Mm -hmm. So I think that this is really interesting in talking about what is the future of the GOP. We know it is a house divided. Uh, We know that there is the Trump faction and the anti-Trump faction. And the question is... Is Nikki Haley going to arise out of Iowa as the standard bearer of the Trump alternative? And keep in mind, she hedged her bet. She said, I'm getting in it, and just wait. When we get to South Carolina, we're really going to grab momentum. She's getting momentum in Iowa. Already in Iowa, yeah. To the detriment of Ron DeSantis, to the detriment of Tim Scott, to the detriment of everybody else who's in single digits, 2%, 1%. We already saw Mike Pence drop. So I think a Nikki Haley is really fascinating to me because she brings a softness to the bombastic harshness that you see in a Donald Trump and a Ron DeSantis. I'm not saying that she's soft and cuddly, but her tone mm-hmm. is of is of a more traditional style. Moderated,
0: yeah, a moderated tone. A moderated
1: yeah. tone. She brings international cred, international bona fides during her time in the U.N. And in this moment of turmoil internationally, that might be something appealing. Uh, she represents the South, which is a stronghold of the Republican Party. So I think I'm really interested to see if... She keeps gaining that momentum. As a side note, she's been doing very well in fundraising while Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott have been going down. If in the end, it comes down to a Nikki Haley and a Donald Trump.
0: Mm-hmm. It could very well. And like you said, things change so quickly. We, we probably need to revisit this conversation on a weekly basis <laughs> for the next year. But uh, I, I think that is an excellent analysis of where we are right now. Let's let's bring it home uh, to to Arkansas. I mean, if you look at Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders' campaign last year, I mean, it was very evident to anybody who understands politics she was going to be a highly polarizing governor. Uh, I mean, that is just her style coming out of the Trump administration. She ran a polarizing campaign. Uh, her her time in office has certainly been polarizing, and it's really not something that we have seen here in Arkansas. Asa Hutchinson was a moderate pragmatist. Uh, Mike Beebe before him was a moderate pragmatist. Mike Huckabee, our current governor's father before him, was a moderate pragmatist. I mean, two of those were Republicans. One was a Democrat, and they all governed pretty much alike. So it's new to Arkansans, but again, I don't think to any of us who really paid attention to the campaign such as it was, there wasn't much of one. I mean, she was pretty much uh, anointed from the day she announced, but to those that paid attention, I don't think that's much of a surprise.
1: No, and and you and I, Rex, were talking earlier about just the new normal of polarization, whereas you look at the approval numbers of President Biden. President Trump, uh, toward the tail end of President Obama. There's a new floor. People are polarized at the national level. And you're starting to see that across the board at the state level, not not everywhere. So mm-hmm. it, it's it's a wave that is creeping. I, I came from Texas, so you started seeing that polarization there, that very hard line. We see it in Florida. Uh, we. Georgia actually has been the exception regionally. We saw a little bit of it in Arizona during the um, during the gubernatorial race there. So I think that right now in this moment, we're in a hyper-polarized moment. The question is, does that tick up in this next electoral cycle and we start to just see that be the norm? Or does that tick down Mm -hmm. to the normal that you were discussing earlier, Rex? I don't know. Yeah. I truly don't know at this moment. I think maybe this time next year, hopefully when we get together again, we'll be able to, to, to look at where we stand nationally. Have we come together? Have we just said, you know what? There's just been too much turmoil. We need to come together as a nation. God forbid there's a crisis point that leads us to that. But right now... It seems that polarization is becoming the new normal.
0: Absolutely. And, and to hit on, and this, you know, by the time we tape this and people listen, something else may have changed. But, uh, you know, the term I have been using, I like alliteration for starters, is the lectern has legs. But but to those, of, and I'm not talking literally, uh, uh, I'm talking about national media, and you and I both follow not only politics, but national media, but... Uh, uh, Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal—all major byline stories. ABC News—I'm uh, I- sure to the governor's chagrin—that uh, is a story, not just a small local story, but one that did go and has gone national now.
1: And you see, just nationally, the spotlight coming onto this—the the the polarization at the national level is then reflected at our state levels, and then it bounces back up like a ray of light. So I think that it's it's almost like a vicious cycle mm-hmm. that we are we keep honing in on this. And I think that um, the media, too, can also play a part in highlighting what is the good news. Yeah. And, and I think that sometimes we get too focused on that hyperpolarization, and I'll admit I am guilty of that mm-hmm. at times, but also what else is going on that – that brings us together, and shameless plug, but thinking about you know the civic engagement index that we're about to launch, that there is a lot of good that is happening. There's bad stuff, but how do we take that good and how do we amplify that? Um, I I was just about to release one of the findings, and I had to stop myself from from the survey. But a lot of really good stuff about the community here in Arkansas that is still very close-knit and that that is reflected in some of the findings.
0: And and I will end on that because I, I recently did a column. The headline was called... Uh, the Arkansas Paradox, and I, I gave a talk at the Pryor Center in Fayetteville a couple of weeks ago by that same name, and, and the paradox is that at a time where our governor has very low approval ratings, where our legislature is even lower, I saw one poll where that was 27%. was the, They were down in the 20s, the governor's in the 40s, the legislature. So at the time of such disapproval, on the economic development front, you take, we're talking about Little Rock, you take the logistics and distribution boom we're seeing here in central Arkansas now, take what's going on in northwest Arkansas, the steel industry in northeast, the lithium that is expanding sur- suddenly in southwest I think we could be on the verge of a of a really new golden era from a economic standpoint here in Arkansas. All the all the signs are pointing to that right now.
1: I couldn't agree more. What we were just talking earlier about, the new schools that are coming in, the the new HRC center, we have the new art museum, mm-hmm. you know, and together Central Little Rock together with Northwest Arkansas, this is a moment for Arkansas and I think for me it is very exciting to be on the ground level of this on the educational front because this is where we train that next generation of leaders for the state and then for the nation.
0: A- absolutely. there There is no doubt about it. It is an exciting time all around for the state of Arkansas right now. Uh, we're, we're glad you chose to come here. I, I want you to know. I'm. Uh, my wife's a native Texan, as you know, and I brought her here, and, and she, she's she been here 34 years now, so it may be for the long haul. She's, she's Arkansan, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Arkansan by this point, yeah.
1: They embrace you, and they welcome you quickly, and that's what I've been so fortunate of.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. Our guest, Dr. Victoria Francesco Soto. She is the dean of the Clinton School of a public service here in Little Rock, and I—I I don't want to wait till two, year, two years until we do this again.
1: Wonderful, thank you, Rex.
0: Thank you.